Open up your Bibles to John's Gospel, the 10th chapter, and we're going to begin here talking about Jesus and who Jesus really is. And, you know, in my own experience, I knew who Jesus was, but I was not experiencing who Jesus was. And there is a big difference between experiencing Jesus and knowing who he is. Now, really, to know who he truly is can help our experience, but I know there are people who kind of, you know, they, they love him, but they don't experience him, they don't know him, they don't uh, benefit from a relationship with him. And I've seen this throughout time now as I've walked with God, even my own experience. You know, when I lived as a non-Christian, lived partying and doing all this stuff, you know, there were some people that I hung around with who didn't respect God, didn't love God, didn't like God, didn't, didn't believe in Him. There were others, and we're living totally wrong, but at least we had some kind of respect and we, we wouldn't let people cross certain lines, but we weren't experiencing I mean, some of my prayer times when I was living in the world was like I'd be in the ocean body surfing or when the waves were real big and drunk and thinking, God, if you help me to get back to land, I won't do this again. I got back to land and then just went about my business. That was my prayer meeting. But there was not a lot of reality to it. There was not... uh, internal peace there was you know just there wasn't much of anything but do you know that is not christianity christianity should be something to us where we know him in such a way and he is working in our lives that um there's a an intimacy just like we would have with a human being where we would have interaction and somebody would help us and do things that is the way God wants our life to be while we're here on the earth. So if you are there in John 10, we are going to begin reading here in the 11th verse. Jesus came to the earth as the one who would die, rise again, make a payment for the world so that people could be saved, made new, and walk with him, and then eventually, when they die, go to heaven, or if he comes back, go to be with him. But he made some interesting statements about himself. And in all reality, every Christian should be making some statements about themselves. Jesus taught us how to live And he said this in John 10, verse 11. He said, I am the good shepherd. Now you could stop there for a while, because a lot of people don't have a good opinion about Jesus. They think, yeah, he's the Savior, but he might be real ticked off at me. He might be real mad at me. He may not be for me, but he said he's the good shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, meaning somebody else who's over someone's life, he who is not the shepherd, or you could say the good shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming 
leaves the sheep, flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. Boy, that'll tell you right now, the best thing to do is follow the Lord. Because He will not leave you and He will not forsake you in the hard times of life. Others will. You know, I've learned that in life. That there are some people who stick with you when it's good, but when it gets tough, they're gone. You know, when I lived in the world, when you had something they wanted, they were with you. When you didn't have it anymore, see you later. And it was more what they could take from you. Jesus was basically saying, I'm not here to take something from you. I'm here to stick with you and help you. And he goes on to say, the hireling, verse 13, flees because the hireling, because he's a hireling, meaning he's paid for. He, he's just there not because he cares. Notice, and he does not care about the sheep. You know, sometimes when you read things in the Bible, if you could just pick out certain words, it would talk and maybe have more of a punch. He said, this one flees because he doesn't care. People flee, things flee, they run away because they don't care. The Lord basically, by this admission, said, I care. Because others will flee, but I'll never flee. So basically by saying, people who run away when it gets hard and it's tough don't care. Now, I'm not trying to accuse people or to get you to point fingers at others, you know, and start going, they don't care, they don't care, they left me. But what it really does show is this, even if others don't care and that's why they leave, he will never leave and it shows that he cares. Notice verse 14, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and am known by my sheep. In other words, he's basically saying this relationship that anybody can have will be tremendous. You can know me, and I will know you. He said, verse 15, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring in, and they will hear my voice. Isn't that an interesting statement? He said, you'll hear his voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Basically, that last verse is explaining this. He was talking to Jews, people who had a covenant with God. And he said, I will shepherd you. But there is coming a time that there are people who are not of this group called the Jews or the house of Israel. They're not of the covenant. They would be called in their time Gentiles, which means all of us that aren't of the Jewish people or of the 12 tribes. And he said, those people will hear my voice and they'll be part of the fold. That's us. Somebody said, well, I believe in the Lord, but I haven't heard his voice. Oh, if you know him, you've heard his voice. But you may be trying to listen with this ear instead of the inward ear that's not a voice like this, 
Like I said earlier, when I went to this one church, I, I didn't know what was going on, but man, they're playing this music. And there are people that are, have their hands raised, and some people are crying. And I'm like, this is like a circus to me. I mean, all kinds of stuff are happening. But I remember thinking, wow, there is a presence here. There is something here. And really, that was his voice dealing with me. I was starting to know, this is where I belong. I was starting to recognize how he was working in me. You could say it like this, I was hearing his voice. I was hearing his dealing, and he wanted to be the good shepherd in my life. Turn to Psalm 23, and uh, we're going to read a very familiar chapter, and um, we're going to look at how to make our relationship with God beneficial to us. How to make it real to us, or more real, or richer, or better than it is. These are some truths I didn't realize until I really got in the Bible and didn't realize that in my own life, I maybe, in those early days, had become my own enemy. And do you know that in life, we can undermine what God would want if we don't know how things work. Even though God loves us, even though God's for us, we could miss out on his best because we don't know how to operate in this life. So are you ready to learn? No? Yes? Yes? Anybody ready? Okay, just checking. Just asking. Because this is huge. Now, Psalm 23 is a prophecy, a foretelling of Jesus becoming the good shepherd, but it is also King David. Many, Many know King David, not because of King David, but because of David who killed Goliath. And this is that David who was moved by God to write this scripture. And this this set of verses, many people have heard these at a funeral, but they're not about death. They're about life. They're about our day-to-day walk. Psalm 23.1 says this, The Lord is my shepherd. Here is something that is plain for all to see, but could easily be missed, is this. What this set of verses is, is to be proclaimed. He didn't just explain who the Lord was. He made a proclamation. And he was verbally proclaiming. And he would say this type of thing. In the Bible, in Philemon, it says your faith becomes effective when you know or acknowledge what you have in the Lord. So I could know something that I have, but not verbalize it, and it doesn't become effective like God would want. Even though it really belongs to me. Here's a good illustration. A gym. 
how many people got a gym membership, you know, January 1st, every year, you know, going to go to the gym, the parking lot's full, you know, kind of like everybody goes from Walmart from the day before Christmas to the gym, and then they're not at either one, except for at strange hours, right? No, but what happens is uh, people get a membership, but what makes the membership work is using the membership. It's amazing to me that they still sell treadmills and stationary bikes every year. And then you can go to garage sales and see them for sale. And, you know, people keep getting them and people keep getting them. But are they using them? You know, if you use them, you benefit. It doesn't matter that you just get it. And we're about to see that the Lord is our shepherd, but to benefit from him, we're going to have to acknowledge. Turn, keep your finger there, or if it's in your phone, you can just turn to Proverbs 18. Just the next book back, Proverbs 18. And this is the principle by which this psalm was written. Proverbs 18. You know, had an interesting experience last week. Somebody was visiting somebody here from out of state. They came to church. They hadn't been to church. And at the beginning, I started talking about how people don't know why certain things happen in their life, and they don't realize that they set spiritual laws in motion, and some people die prematurely. And I went off about how people start talking about dying and dying young and not living past a certain age and then going through the Bible and how there's promises for a long life and kept going on and on. And I even said at one point, like, this is for somebody in here. You're doing something wrong. You know, you're basically going to die. And then somebody left, this person left with their friend. They said, that message was for me. And the person answered back and said, oh, we all think that at times. She said, no. I've been saying, she's 23 years old. She said, I have all my life been saying I'll die by the time I'm 25. And people don't realize that what you say is opens the door to things and closes the doors to things. Like people who say stuff, you know, I'll never get ahead or I'll, you know, I'll, I just, I always attract the bad guy, you know, who will cheat on me or whatever it is. Thank you. Some people say things they don't even know it's damaging like this. Well, money goes out faster than it comes in. Ever heard anybody say something like that? And they'll all share that message at the checkout of a grocery store. And then they expect you to repeat it. Have you ever had people expect you to repeat something? Well, it's flu season, you know, I'll be the first one to get it. Say, yeah, okay, go ahead. That's not what they want. Okay, then go ahead. Be my guest. I'm not going to be second or third. But notice this in Proverbs 18. 
This is how things are activated in our life. And this is how David, when he wrote this, experienced Jesus, or really God, because Jesus hadn't come yet, but how he experienced God was by what he verbalized. Notice this in Proverbs 18, verse 20. A man's stomach, or literally his life, shall be filled or satisfied from the words or the fruit of his mouth. From the produce or the abundance of what he speaks from his lips, he shall be filled. Verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The other day I was visiting somebody and was in an elevator and a little girl got was like in a stroller standing up and looking at, staring at me. And I waved. And her mom just said, yeah, she's just rude. And started talking her down. I said, oh, no, be careful. You don't want your kid to turn out like that. You got a good kid. I'm arguing with her. But we don't realize that we get trained in things that that could harm us. Well, I'm just not as smart as other people. Well, why am I not as smart as other people? Because I maybe have been told that my whole life, and somewhere I started believing it. Daniel, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Bible, when they consecrated themselves to God, it said they became ten times smarter than the rest. What if I started saying my memory's good and God helps me to learn and helps me to advance? Notice he said we get filled in our life by the words we speak. It is a spiritual law. Jesus said this, and you can turn back in your Bible to Psalm 23. Jesus said this, that we will give an account of all the words and the idle words that come out of our mouth, he said, he said, and by your words you will be put right or you will be condemned. It's very interesting to me that he didn't say by all your thoughts you're going to get judged. Because we not know that not all thoughts come from God. You can't control every thought that comes to your head but you can control your mouth. And, and the book of James said that the mouth is like the bit in a horse's mouth. Wherever it's moving or the direction it's going, eventually that horse will go. Or like a rudder on a ship, that if you turn it, eventually that's where it will go. And some people that don't know this have done damage, but not on purpose. And so, we're going to do something and learn something this morning that is going to be able to change your body, your mind, your circumstances, how you exist in the earth, how you succeed in life. We've been, you know, the last couple of weeks, we went through God's desire for you. We kept reading not over and over, but each week we read 3 John 2 that said, Beloved, that's us, who know the Lord. Beloved, I would that you would prosper in all things. 
Does God want you to prosper? I thought maybe God was against money. Yeah, God doesn't like money. Money's evil. That's why he has streets of gold in heaven. Wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Pearly gates of giant pearls? How do we think money's evil? Covetousness is evil. But if he's, you know, some people get mad at people who live in a big house. Well, be careful because you have a mansion prepared for you in heaven. God is not about you not succeeding. But sometimes we talk against things and don't know it hurts us. So he said, beloved, I would you would prosper, be in health, even as your soul prospers. God wants good for his kids. But remember, how we partake comes from our words. And not just from one word one day or words for a week, but words for months. And words for months and months. Life's getting hard. I don't know if I can make it. It just gets harder and harder and harder and harder. And what happens is we lose initiative. We read a verse that said this. It says, God is working in us both to will and to want to do of his good pleasure. He said, therefore do things and don't use disputing words and complaining words. Why? It hinders that working that he's trying to accomplish in us. And if you read later on in that same book, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he didn't complain. He didn't murmur. And he was in prison. And he made a proclamation, God is strengthening me. What if you started saying, God is strengthening me to do whatever I need to do? Didn't Joel 3 say, let the weak say I'm strong? Well, it seems like such a contradiction that he would tell me to say something positive in a negative situation. But how many of you realize that we get satisfied in life by what we say? And sometimes when people get in a hard time, they start repeating what they're going through and they don't realize it keeps them there and makes life harder. And they may even pray, but what people need more than prayer, I know this sounds like let's crucify him, because we do need some things more than prayer. <clears throat> Amen. Because you could pray and say, Lord, help me, and then walk around the rest of the day going, I don't know what I'm going to do. God never comes through. How many of you realize it's like tying your shoes and then pulling and untying them and walking away? If I keep saying, what am I going to do? God never helps me. Remember, we get satisfied not by what we pray, but what we say. But how many of you realize what you pray, you do have to say? And so all these saying stuff goes in line. Are you ready? <clears throat> Are you ready? Yes. I mean, 
man, we could leave today and we will leave today lifted up, affected in life, positively, dynamically, in a tremendous way. We're going to have to do what's said here and it will become active. You will walk away from here and your relationship with the Lord and the experience of the things He wants is going to only increase if you do this. Only. Only. The rungs on a ladder are where you want to go. You know, that's the steps. And if you want to move up, you've got to step to the next place. Your words are the rung on the ladder. If you put them up here, you will eventually go there. If you put them down here, you will go there. Are you ready? <clears throat> are you ready? Yes. Okay. The Lord is my shepherd. That was what David proclaimed. He said, God shepherds me. I shall not want. He declared, I will not want. Somebody might think, well, is that only money? Well, in Psalm 37, David said this about his life. He said, I, I've been young and now I'm old in Psalm 37, 25. But he said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. He constantly would say things like, I shall not want. Not that God just meets your needs. He will meet your wants. And there is a big difference between needs and wants. The very first thing he said is, said is, God is guiding me. I don't know what to do. He didn't say that. He said, God is guiding me. I shall not want. Notice he verbalized. He didn't just write this. He proclaimed this. All of us should start saying, The Lord is shepherding my life. I shall not want. Notice this. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, or literally waters of rest. He's using this analogy as a sheep, and a shepherd who is over a sheep, and when he led them to these green pastures, he was leading them into paths of plenty so that they could partake of things they needed to live by. And then he said, beside the still water. He didn't take these sheep and pull them up to a rushing mighty river where they would have to dip their mouth in and could get swept away. No, he brought them to a place where there was calm water where they could comfortably eat and comfortably drink. But, he said, God is doing this for me. All of us should move our mouth because we will be satisfied in time by this. God's leading me. He's guiding me. Notice what he said in verse 3. And when we read the whole psalm, some of these parts all of a sudden are going to get really clear. He restores my soul. 
What was he saying? He basically said, he works on my emotions. He helps my mind. He proclaimed. You could say it like this from the New Testament. He gives peace for my heart and my mind. What if I'm struggling and my emotions are troubled? You ever had your emotions troubled before? Two, three, four, five. Lots of people are saying, yeah. It's part of living in the world where the wind is contrary to God. David said, God restores my soul. He gets me back to a good place. We could say the Lord has given me peace because the Bible said, my peace I leave with you so that when you're in this world, you don't have to be overcome. So you could start proclaiming any time over a period of time. And it's like lifting weights. The, as you do it over a long period of time, you'll be able to push away some of the trouble and push away things and start experiencing heaven's peace in your heart. Heaven's peace in your mind in the middle of a storm and you'll be able to just calmly say, the Lord is restoring my soul and you'll be medicated by divine peace. And you can say, the Lord is the peace of my life. Now at first, if I've been talking contrary, it might take a little bit. Just like if you're turning a horse or turning a boat, you know, it could take a little bit. But once you start it going that way, the Bible plainly says you'll start to experience. And so we can say, like David, Lord, you restore my soul. Notice this. He didn't even ask the Lord to do it. He knew the Lord was a good shepherd. So he didn't even say, God, would you please give me peace? I don't know if you want me to have peace or not. He just said, the Lord is doing this. How confident was he in knowing God was good to him? And you know what? God is good to all of us. Remember, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And I'm not leaving you, and I want you to experience this. Notice, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He leads me into good ways. How many people say things like this? Whenever good happens to me, it seems like two bad things happen. You know, it feels like I'm just about to get ahead and then something knocks me backwards. People don't realize they open the door to things. So we should say, he's leading me in good paths and paths of success. Ready for the next verse? He said, yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He proclaimed, I will fear like crazy. No. No. He said, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. A good shepherd will not leave. Then he said, your rod and your staff comfort me. It's real interesting here when he said, yea, though I walk, or yes, I do walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What is the valley of the shadow of death? 
Is there any significance to the valley of the shadow of death? This is actually a location in Israel. It was a shortcut to get from Jericho to Jerusalem or from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was through a desert area that can get extremely hot, but it had big has big jagged rocks and different things. And, uh, but it was a shortcut. And it was known as a place of peril where robbers could be and different things like that. As a matter of fact, you may remember the story of Jesus telling about the Good Samaritan who was on a path and was walking along and he had been beaten up by robbers. And he was left for dead, so to speak. And then a religious person went by and ignored him and another person went by and ignored him and walked on the other side and seen he had been beaten up and robbed and everything. You know where he was? He was on this path. He was in the valley of the shadow of death. It was a known thing that, that this place was a place of peril, a place of robbers, and he's using this as life. How many of us, we could turn on the news, read something on the internet, we're here about wars and rumors of wars, California, you know, what a wonderful place. Everybody wants to move there. Now everybody who's there, or 50%, are wanting out because there's such crime. Companies are leaving. People are afraid they can get mugged. We live in a dark world. Should we fear? I mean, there's wars and rumors of wars going on. This right here is a description that would fit for us. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You could get mugged. You could have this. No, I will fear no evil. Notice what he said. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These were tools of the trade for a shepherd. He'd have a rod or a staff, a rod and a staff, and he would pull the sheep to guide them, or he would use the other end to defend and beat off things that were coming. Here is a thought. We live in a world that there is going to be stuff, because we know it, that's going to be bad. How many of you know this? If we start saying, the Lord is my shepherd, and he leads me, and I will not fear, and he leads me away from trouble, and if I'm in a place of trouble, he protects me. Psalm 91 is a whole psalm about protection, and it's all telling you to verbalize that he's given angels charge over you, that he keeps you in all your ways. You know what? We can live this life without calamity and disaster. Fear, when it comes, is really a challenge to the integrity of what God has said. It's wanting you to doubt that what God said is true. So David said, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, where robbers are, where peril is, where 
circumstances can be contrary. He said, I will fear no evil, for I'm not alone. You're with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. In other words, your weapons, your ability is at my disposal. I will not fear. He verbalized that. What about you? What about me? We should start saying, God is leading me even if I'm in the shadow of death. Even if I'm walking through this path, I need to say, He has given me what it takes to win. Can you say that? I mean, we can all say it, but I mean, are you allowed to before you see it? Yeah. He said we need to. Notice this. He said, you prepare a table before me, verse 5, in the presence of my enemies. Now think about it. David said, I have comfort because I know your weapons, I know your ability, I know you're leading me. We need to actively say, you comfort me. The Bible said he can comfort you with so much comfort that you will have plenty left over to comfort other people. Wouldn't that be cool? And it's yours, if the price is right. What do I mean by that? We have to say it. He does comfort me. After a while, you'll find that comfort is just your companion. And worry is not your companion. And you may come to the place and you will eventually, you might be troubled and think, why am I not worrying? Am I not supposed to worry right now? Isn't this the time we're supposed to worry? You know, because people say stuff like this. You're not worrying. Don't you care? Like caring and worrying are signs, you know, like if I worry, I care. If I don't worry, I don't care. What if not worrying is a sign that I am in a good place and that God is working in me, making me tranquil inside, knowing He's working on my behalf? How do I know He's working? I said it because He told me to say it. Ready to read on? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That means your enemies are right there. But why be bothered with your present enemies if God's not? Why don't you just start saying, everything I need, you prepare before me. Comfort, strength, the restoring of my mind, my soul, peace, my body, whatever it is. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. What does that mean? His power will minister to you. His power will do a work in you. So all you have to do is start saying... I remember when I first started hearing you needed to say stuff. I remember going to work and I had two Christian friends that worked there, actually more, but two of them were talking and I remember they were saying, 
wow, you know, you need to say stuff. And I remembered sitting there thinking, I don't understand this. Why do you need to say something? Then after I learned the Bible a little more, I realized, man, I need to say something before I see it, before I experience it. I need to start acknowledging these good things. And then I start coming in line and God's able to work in my life. Notice he said, you anoint my head with oil or his power will start working on you. My cup runs over. Verse 6, surely goodness, good things, right things. The Hebrew literally is prosperity. One of the meanings, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What's after you? The devil's after me. No, surely goodness and mercy. Have you ever dared to declare? Have you ever dared to make a withdrawal from your heavenly account that says goodness and mercy is after you? What if I would rise up even with some timidity at first and said God's goodness is after my life and mercy is after me, not Him being angry, Good things are upon my life. What if I would find that I'm starting to access the things that truly God wants me to live in? Let's finish up right here. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to serve God here, and I'm going to live with Him there. Man, how the world needs to know that we know the Good Shepherd and they can get to know Him and we serve Him here and we're going to live with Him there forever. That should be a bold confession. We should be more bold than the drug addict, than the sexually active outside of marriage or anything. The drunk, the drug addict, the... High and mighty, it doesn't matter. We should love all people, but our experience should be greater. What we've got is greater. What you have is greater. I dare you to go to the spiritual ATM and punch in and make a deposit. And you'll find this is all to your account. But the way you do it is not go put your card in and push a number, but use your mouth. And you will start drawing on the peace of God, the power of God, the life of God, the health of God, the direction He can give, the intimacy, the restoring of your soul. You can have peace greater next week than this week. I dare you. When I was little, we would do something that I don't know if you're allowed to do in church, but I'm about to. I double dog dare you to do this. Somebody's young said, what are you talking about? Maybe they use that expression, but that's like you go over the top. Like serious? All right, then I'll do it. Then do it. 